0: Series 3, Addiction and Recovery, Why the 12-Step Program. Hi, I'm Chris, I'm an addict. And this is the third series of the Addiction and Recovery podcast. And this series, we're going to be talking about why the 12-Step Program. The 12-Step Program is one of the most used programs all over the world for recovery from addiction, any addiction. It is used in support groups, that are meeting daily, 24-7, all over the world, as well as in rehabilitation centers. It's called the Minnesota Programme, and it is widely accepted as the best form of keeping your addiction in remission. And the greatest thing about it, it understands us as recovering addicts with the disease of addiction, without any form of judgment. As you have heard in the previous series, what is the 12-step program, you will have understood the story of the program itself and how it works. In this series, why the 12-step program, we will be exploring what are the circumstances and environment that activate our addiction. What do I mean by that? Most diseases are inherited from our family's gene pool, post and present. And as you have heard before, in series one, most of us have a dormant gene of addiction in some form or another. This is then activated by circumstances and environment in our youth right up to today. Like any other inherited disease, like diabetes and cancer for example, both are activated by circumstances and environment. In the case of addiction, the disease is activated by circumstances and environment. And that is everything from the day we were born right up to present day. And to explain this, I have a guest today who's going to walk through his journey from childhood right through to the present day. But before Daniel takes us through his story, we've got to talk about lifestyle changes. Anything in a disease requires a lifestyle change. Diabetes requires abstinence from sugar cancer needs to have a lifestyle change away from stress addiction needs to have a lifestyle change from our old life, our old ways that we used to cope and to do that we will need to understand what the 12 step program is in this case and that comes with support from fellow addicts and also a true understanding of a higher power that is bigger than you, that will enable us to have a real chance of remission from our disease of addiction. How does the 12-step program help us stay in remission? Well, it is the most incredible program as you heard in series two. First of all, as you have heard, we learn what happened to us and how we lost control and how our lives became completely chaotic. Then we learned how to come to believe in a power greater than ourselves to restore us to sanity. Two very, very difficult words sometimes for people to take on board, higher power and sanity. My higher power in my addiction was my drugs. And was I sane? No, I wasn't. I was doing insane things to maintain my addiction. And then from that, we learn how to hand our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand it, the care of our higher power as we understand it, ourselves. To actually finally surrender completely over to this higher power, whoever that might be, or whatever that might be in your case. And then Step four, which is we made a fearless and moral infantry of ourselves and this is probably one of the most important things to do and it can take many weeks and then we get to a place where we're going to start writing down exactly what happened. What was it in those times where the circumstances and environment just got this addiction to activate, that we needed to find a way to cope. What were the circumstances and environments that happened in our lives that brought us to a place of maybe fear, a place of lack of belief in ourselves, a place where we needed something else to be somebody else that we thought we should be. And we write it down. And it can take a while to write all these things down. And then when we do, is to be able to sit in front of somebody who we can trust with the deepest of our secrets and fears, and read what we have just written in the presence of God. Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Daniel who's going to take us through his life experiences, his circumstances and environment, and his recovery, and how his remission is continued from here, and how. In this, he will take us through seven episodes of this series, and this is what they're going to incorporate. This episode is called Facing and Overcoming Betrayal. And the next podcast will be Walking Out of a Broken Identity. And then number three facing and letting go of the past four overcoming financial lack and poverty five from destroying to rebuilding six walking out of the old and into the new seven giving up your shame humility and rejection Okay, so now over to Daniel, and Daniel, thank you. Thank you so much for coming here and being prepared to share the most extraordinary story about your addiction, how it activated, what happened to you, why it happened to you, and also how you chose to cope with this, this inner, unexplainable feelings that were just completely ripping you apart inside, and then how you got to, to where you are today, and what you're dealing with today. And I just think it's amazing that you're here today to to just share this with so many people. And, uh, and I really thank you, Daniel. It's, it's amazing. So, Daniel, what we're going to do is we're going to just uh, go through a little bit uh, quickly, just as an introduction of who is Daniel today. Hey, Chris. It's great to be here. I'm
1: Daniel, uh, also recovering addict. And um, Chris and I, yeah, we've been on a journey and... Uh, been on a journey through the 12-step program and um, on a journey of sobriety and, and getting better and overcoming addiction. Um, yeah, I met Chris a year and a half ago um, and uh, had been sober and pulled my life together, but um, Chris walked into my life and saw that I needed further help. And so I'm so grateful for the 12-step program and uh, just what it's done for me in my life and today is really just opening up. You know, there's a relationship here. There's a bridge, Chris. You and I have built one for a long time. These things I want to share today, I'm, I'm doing so because I want my life to be transparent to help others. And so it is hectic stuff, uh, deep stuff. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be a wreck. I want to be an addict. I want to screw my life up and everyone's lives around me. <laughs> I don't think that's anyone's intention. But we find ourselves in places that um, we never planned to be. And so it's a privilege to be here. I appreciate you inviting me onto this platform and giving me the opportunity to go through this with you um, and open up our lives. I've broken it down into seven parts because I just want to stay focused in each area um, around uh, what we're trying to achieve through helping others because I'm sure those listening today um, will hear this and hopefully in hopeless situations uh, find hope and no, there's, there's an avenue. You know, There's a journey you can go on uh, you don't have to stay a mess. You can get your life sorted out, and um, there's people around to help you do that.
0: Fantastic. Daniel, look, I'm really excited about where we're going to go on this on this series. And uh, today, as we said, we're going to do episode one, and it's Facing and Overcoming Betrayal. Chris, thanks for that
1: introduction. So, uh, Facing and Overcoming Betrayal, I, I chose this heading because betrayal is not something you do to yourself. Okay, Um, I I wanna start right in the beginning because I think it's a good place to start. Uh, Born into a loving home, amazing dad who who loved um, the Lord, loved my mom, Um, two older brothers, eventually a younger brother, so it's not like I was born into a fatherless or a motherless home. That's funny, (laughs) sorry. Motherless (laughs) home, let's not say that, (laughs) sorry. The addict just went woo. Okay, that's fine. You can keep going. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. no, 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 I'm going. So, so anyway, Chris, you know, uh, bad things happen to good people, and um, you know, betrayal happens to us. And uh, I want to talk about my betrayal. So, um, a young kid. Um, I'm writing a book at the moment called Sensory Versus Sensual. I had a sensory disorder, which means very sensitive on my skin. Uh, still today. Uh, The hair on my body or a t-shirt on my body um, irritates my skin from kind of an allergic reaction. And um, as a kid, um, this constant sensuality, sensory disorder attracted um, various amounts of abuse in my life. And so um, the first, first abuse and the first betrayal was my grade one teacher. Um, We would have class and it would be summer and I'm wearing a button-up shirt and uh, went to Kensington Ridge Primary to all my mates that are listening. And um, this teacher started to touch me. (laughs) So maybe people are listening today, let's let's be honest about what happened there. So he would come around, start uh, kind of touching my shoulders and eventually his hands were running down my shirt. And because of this sin, sensory disorder. I mean, at seven years old, you don't know that's wrong. You're kind of thinking, well, this teacher's giving me all the attention. Um, He's um, loving me because you don't understand what's happening. Anyway, um, that would be in front of the class and and you just kept pushing the boundaries and pushing the boundaries. And eventually it was the class would leave, ask me to stay behind and it became sexual abuse in the back of the classroom. And so that's the first betrayal. There's a teacher that uh, I was meant to look up to, learn from, be mentored by, be taught by, and um, he abused me.
0: It's a very similar story to my own, actually, because like I was when I was age seven, I was very vulnerable because I was bullied and um, I had a learning learning disorder of dyslexia and I became very vulnerable and I, I was very open to attention of somebody. And the same thing happened to me. I had a teacher at my school who decided to take advantage of that. But in my context, as the age of seven, I didn't see it like that at all. And uh, the next thing, as you say, it was uh, a sexual abuse that I understood as somebody paying attention to me, uh, giving me some form of affection. But I didn't understand then what was happening. But I didn't also know that that was going to have a dynamic effect on me for the rest of my life. So I I absolutely get that, Daniel. So look,
1: um, that started the first of many, unfortunately. So it was the teacher, then I had an uncle. Um, I'm not going to mention names because I'm not trying to dishonor people today. Two uncles, one from my father's side, one from my mother's side. Um, Sexual abuse continued. So seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Um, And you start to beg the question, what's wrong with me? Uh, When you do now start getting into adolescence, hitting puberty, you're realizing something's not right. Um, You've been sworn to secrecy, uh, been threatened, your life, if you tell anyone, and it's family, and you get this sick, distorted view of what love is, of what attention looks like. Um, My dad being in, um, you know, working really hard and and being away from home, also being very involved in the church, um, not picking up to the fact that these things were going down and not to dishonor him either, Um, But this just attracted one after another. Uh, And so after the adult abuse, when I hit my teenage years and and I was eventually now going to high school, it would be the head of the rugby team and it would be the popular boy at school teasing me. Like you said, I mean, uh, labeled from a very young age, didn't fit in, um, being called all kinds of names, girly boy, you know, I didn't play sport, I skipped a break with the girls, I love music and... Other arts and cultures things, and that that doesn't mean that anyone was allowed to put a label on me and um, open doors in my life. but betrayal happened, and I think that's why I want to talk about it today. Um, had a guy that used to come to our house, his mom was single and he was older than me and 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 it would happen at home and it would happen at school and it would happen on on camps and it w- so the sexual abuse just continued and continued as well as the the verbal abuse. Um, what the perpetrators putting against me and then calling me those names. So the title today is Betrayal, you know, overcoming the betrayal. Uh, so, so this is the painful point that the hurt was there. So by the time I was 13, um, I entered active addiction. Um, I went to my aunt's house and they, they, they used to drink, my, my father didn't, but I stole my first bottle of whiskey and I found my best friend because it was something that numbed the pain. And so, the tension of being loved in private and despised in public um, really set my life on a trajectory uh, of acts of addiction and getting to be loved in the distorted view of by this time what that looked like. Um, and the sexual abuse was to to harsh levels of not just touching but um, oral sex and and penetration and all kinds of things. So. You know, what do you do now? You're you're now acting out of hurt and you've been betrayed. It's happened. The story has been written. You know, now what? And so let's talk about active addiction. Started drinking then at 13 years old. By the time I was 16, I was using LSD. Um, 17 came out, uh, ecstasy, it was candy flipping every single weekend and trying to be out of my mind as much as possible. And I think that's a topic we should talk about because the betrayal affects your mind. So your reality is abuse. Yeah. And so you build walls. You're trying to protect yourself. No idea how to set a boundary. No idea how to say no or yes or or, or what, what what true love looks like. Trying to have a relationship after that, let alone have a normal girlfriend or a any kind of relationship. In episode two, I'm going to talk about how my identity was broken through this process. And... Um, where I went, what I did, who so I was d- I just want to
0: ask you on that one thing. Do you feel that you were, you were basically people-pleasing by not saying no and doing anything that people wanted so that you would be liked? Well, I
1: mean, at seven years old, you don't know how to say no. I
0: mean, you know, it's your teacher.
1: It's authority. And I, and I think my, my addiction, and we'll talk about the rebellion side of it, you know, is rooted in rebellion because I got hurt by authority by authority. It's the head boy. It's the, it's the teacher. Um, I was then even in a youth group where I went and confided in the youth leaders and they decided to make it public knowledge to the top guys in the youth. So, you know, we talk about authority, well, my picture of authority was abusive. Um, every time I felt I could trust somebody, there was an angle of the sexual part of the um, misconduct, et cetera. So the drugs got harder. So, you know, it was the alcohol, then it went to the ecstasy and the the LSD, then it went to the cocaine and Um, eventually to, you know, smoking buttons, Mandrax, marijuana, uh, pinks in those days, and, you know, candy flipping, cocaine, um, tick, and all the things that go with it. I mean, we can mention all the names today. So whatever I could get my hands on to take the the
0: mind part of the abuse out. So just going back to right where it started, I just want to know from you is what was it that you felt you needed to take your first drug? What, what was it, uh, apart from the circumstances, environment of environment of the sexual abuse as a young child, what was it that made you feel, I must use this to cope? What was that that initiated it? Did you not know any other way? Could you not speak to anybody or didn't you think it was something we could speak about? So look, I grew up in a house where talking
1: about sex was taboo. (laughs) I remember there used to be that pad advert where the chickie drops her pad in the river and the river dries up and my mom used to like jump in and switch off the TV. And so again, nothing against my parents. You don't know what you don't know. and None of us know how to raise kids. I got four. Um, So I didn't know what I didn't know, but when I had that whiskey for the first time and I got drunk and I realized there was an escape and a happy place because
0: I was happy. So did it release your... Uh, secret, unknown, unundersta- you didn't understand this pain inside you. But when you took that whiskey, it was a way of relieving a pain that you thought was normal, and yet you found almost peace in having it. Not just that. So when you've been taken in
1: public in a different way to private, okay, there's two worlds you're busy fighting here. So in the public world, you have zero confidence. I had no self esteem, nothing whatsoever because it was teasing, it was abuse, I, I wasn't fitting in, there's something wrong with me. Um, in the private world, you find, you know, uh, that people love you in this sexual way that's wrong. So you in this in- incredibly hard tension. So what the alcohol did is it gave me personality, and I think all the drugs are used after that to be someone in public. Because, you know, you, you have a drink, you, you, you change, it's a spirit, it's a spiritual change. And so the confidence levels changed. means I started to, you know, I could have a drink and go out with people. I could start to, um, you know, party. And we'll get into episode two about where I ended up and, and the group of people that accepted me and the
0: whole identity crash that happened in my life. But- so just, just one thing I wanted to ask you on that, Daniel, is that in realizing that, you know, uh, you felt inadequate, you felt that you, you weren't the person who you thought you should be, what, why were you unable to talk about these issues that you had prior to picking up for the first time?
1: So, Chris, I hate religion, and we need to say that um, my higher power, as I found him through the Twelve Step program, is Jesus Christ. But he's not a religion; he's a relationship, and I don't, I don't push that on people because it's, um, it's your journey. But for me, that's where my healing. Definitely came from. So when you're in a religious environment, you have expectations on you to perform and behave in a certain way. You have rules and regulations. And the stuff that we're talking about in my day was taboo. You're talking about the 80s. You didn't talk about this stuff. You know, my uncle um, threatened me uh, and said, if I told anyone, he'd take me out. No, you're 10 years old and someone says they're going to kill you. I don't think you talk to anybody. Um, I watched him die. Um, I think it's important to to to. I can talk about him because him and my my aunt are, are no longer on on the planet. I buried both of them. So he had a secret life. He was married to my mom's sister, but he had a secret life. Mm. Secret life of homosexuality. So he was living a secret life, and 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 then had a wife in in public view. And so he molested me, and thank the Lord I was never contracted with any diseases, but. I watched him die of HIV. Um, Joburg Gen Hospital, he sent everyone out the room 15 minutes before he passed away and apologized to me, um, but denied it to the whole family. So I was also then accused of lying. Okay, so when eventually I did start to talk about it, which was close to the end of that, and reasons when I was 18 is someone else in my family came out that they were abused and I eventually now and I started telling my story to my, my parents, etc. So you know what? He apologized on his deathbed. And um, when you're in the final moments of your abuser and he says, sorry, you can't change the betrayal, but it meant something, even if it was on my own. Um, and then his dear wife, and uh, again, I'm not dishonoring anybody. She died of the same disease because she was married to someone with a double life. And that was a horrible process for us to go through as a family, um, because she did nothing wrong. Uh, and so, ah, what do you do now? The, the, you know, they've passed away, um, and you have to face it and, and find the healing. And I think that's the next part we need to talk about. Because I've said now the betrayals happen.
0: What then? What do you do? Okay, so that's that's um, you know, an overview of exactly the circumstances and environment that were out of your control that other human beings have put on to you that were not your choice. And I completely get that 100%. And I think a lot of people listening is just relieved to hear that this can be so openly spoken about. Because there has been a lot of shame and guilt about this particular uh, call it abuse. And also bullying that has happened to us at school. And so I, you know, the one thing as I was saying was it'd be interesting from your side that you picked up the, going back to your 1st pickup, that you actually um, felt something different in the fact that you drank something, it made you feel better, it made you feel real, it took away all the pain and all the anxiety that you felt. Why did you choose, or in the end, choose that over trying to speak to somebody close to you like your parents or somebody? about the truth of how you were feeling that could have stopped you from picking up in the first place?
1: So let's not get this wrong, I did go for counsel.
0: Um, but Is this um, before the bottle, of, before the first drink? Uh,
1: yeah, you know, uh, I went to my youth leaders as I've mentioned. And again, I'm not dishonouring a church or anything like that now. Um, and they betrayed my trust by making it public knowledge to other people. So I didn't trust any authority. Whatsoever, And I refused to ever open my life up again because I didn't want to get hurt again. And so let's talk about the wall you build. You know, um, sexual abuse is is massive and destroys a life. It's a life sentence. So to have healing and be able to talk about it is a miracle. It is not normal. Um, I know friends of mine and many people and, and even victims that I work with that um, take this to their grave and they are destroyed. They are destroyed individuals because of the violation and there's no way of finding out how normal life looks and how on earth you can have a normal life, get married, have kids, um, not be suspicious of everybody, not live in paranoia, not get put on psychotic medication. I mean, those are all the processes I've been through. But I'm grateful that I found a higher power that I was able to take this to, and it's been yes a process of seeing counselors talking to you, Chris, going through the 12-step program, confiding again in spiritual leaders, going to a church, resubmitting myself to authority despite my fear, and, and taking this to my higher power, Jesus Christ, and saying, how on earth do I get healed? Because I don't want to live a life broken anymore. I'm 42 years old. I've got four of my own children, and I can't relive my childhood. I want my life to count. I want to... Help others who are walking in the same pain to say, you know what? There is a way out. Um, number one, talking about it, uh, It's I'm not ashamed anymore because I was a victim. But I realized, Chris, and the reason we're talking today is I cannot be a victor and a victim at the same time. So my life right now is amazing. I help other people going through these things because I found healing. And it doesn't mean it's gone away. It doesn't mean the memory's gone away. It doesn't mean it was right. Um, It's twisted as all hell and and there's still massive amounts of issues that need to be worked through. But I've got hope uh, because there's healing. There's healing for everything that we go through. And um, I'd love to end this podcast just with this point exactly with with the example that we have uh,
0: that that healing can come from. Daniel, thank you. Thank you very much for your honesty and your openness in this first amazing journey that we'll be going to go on on this particular series. And it's exciting to hear the honesty and the desire to reach out with your story and helping probably many, many others who've been in the same in the same circumstances. So thank you, Daniel. That's brilliant. And I look forward to uh, episode two and continuing with this story. So with that, um, I'm going to sign off for this particular episode and uh, we will continue with Daniel shortly and that's going to be in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you again, Daniel and thank you everybody and uh, remember, keep it safe. Series 3 Addiction and Recovery Why the 12 Step Programme Hi, I'm Chris. I'm an addict. And this is the third series of the Addiction and Recovery podcast. And this series, we're going to be talking about why the 12-step program. The 12-step program is one of the most used programs all over the world for recovery from addiction, any addiction. It is used in support groups that are meeting daily, 24-7, all over the world, as well as in rehabilitation centers. It is called the Minnesota Programme and it is widely accepted as the best form of keeping your addiction in remission and the greatest thing about it, it understands us as recovering addicts with the disease of addiction without any form of judgement. As you have heard in the previous series, What is the 12 Step Programme? You will have understood the story of the programme itself and how it works. In this series, Why the 12-step program, we will be exploring what are the circumstances and environment that activate our addiction. What do I mean by that? Most diseases are inherited from our family's gene pool, post and present. And as you have heard before, in series one, most of us have a dormant gene of addiction in some form or another. This is then activated by circumstances and environment in our youth right up to today. Like any other inherited disease, like diabetes and cancer, for example, both are activated by circumstances and environment. In the case of addiction, the disease is activated by circumstances and environment, and that is everything from the day we were born right up to present day. And to explain this, I have a guest today who's going to walk through his journey from childhood right through to the present day. But before Daniel takes us through his story, we've got to talk about lifestyle changes. Anything in a disease requires a lifestyle change. Diabetes requires an abstinence from sugar, cancer needs to have a lifestyle change away from stress. Addiction needs to have a lifestyle change from our old life, our old ways that we used to cope. And to do that, we will need to understand what the 12-step program is in this case. And that comes with support from fellow addicts and also a true understanding Of a higher power that is bigger than you that will enable us to have a real chance of remission from our disease of addiction. How does the 12-step program help us stay in remission? Well it is the most incredible program as you heard in Series 2. First of all, as you have heard, we learn what happened to us and how we lost control and how our lives became completely chaotic. Then we learned how to come to believe in a power greater than ourselves to restore us to sanity. Two very, very difficult words sometimes for people to take on board, higher power and sanity. My higher power in my addiction was my drugs. And was I sane? No, I wasn't. I was doing insane things to maintain my addiction. And then from that, we learn how to hand our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand it, the care of our higher power as we understand it, ourselves. To actually finally surrender completely over to this higher power, whoever that might be, or whatever that might be in your case. And then step four, which is we made a fearless and moral infantry of ourselves. And this is probably one of the most important things to do. And it can take many weeks. And then we get to a place where we're going to start writing down exactly what happened. What was it in those times where the circumstances and environment just got this addiction to activate, that we needed to find a way to cope? What were the circumstances and environments that happened in our lives that brought us to a place of maybe fear, a place of lack of belief in ourselves, a place where we needed something else to be somebody else that we thought we should be? And we write it down. And it can take a while to write all these things down. And then when we do, is to be able to sit in front of somebody who we can trust with the deepest of our secrets and fears, and read what we have just written in the presence of God. Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Daniel who's going to take us through his life experiences, his circumstances and environment, and his recovery, and how his remission is continued from here, and how. In this, he will take us through seven episodes of this series, and this is what they're going to incorporate. This episode is called Facing and Overcoming Betrayal, Then the next podcast will be Walking Out of a Broken Identity. And then number three, facing and letting go of the past. Four, overcoming financial lack and poverty. Five, from destroying to rebuilding. Six, walking out of the old and into the new. Seven, giving up your shame, humility and rejection. Okay, so now over to Daniel. And Daniel, thank you. Thank you so much for coming here and being prepared to share the most extraordinary story about your addiction, how it activated, what happened to you, why it happened to you, and also how you chose to cope with this, this inner Unexplainable feelings that were just completely ripping you apart inside, and then how you've got to to where you are today, and what you're dealing with today. And I just think it's amazing that you're here today to to just share this with so many people. And uh, and I really thank you, Daniel. It's, it's amazing. So, Daniel, what we're going to do is we're going to just uh, go through a little bit uh, quickly, just as an introduction of who is Daniel today. Hey, Chris. It's great to be here. I'm
1: Daniel. Uh, also recovering addict and um, Chris and I, yeah, we've been on a journey and uh, been on a journey through the 12-step program and um, On a journey of sobriety and and getting better and overcoming addiction Um, Yeah, I met Chris a year and a half ago um, and uh, had been sober and pulled my life together, but um, Chris walked into my life and saw that I needed further help and so I'm so grateful for the 12-step program and uh, just what it's done for me in my life and today is really just opening up you know there's a relationship here there's a bridge chris you and i've built one for a long time these things i want to share today I'm, i'm doing so because i want my life to be transparent to help others and so it is hectic stuff uh deep stuff i don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says i want to be a wreck i want to be an addict I wanna screw my life up and everyone's lives around me. (laughs) I don't think that's anyone's intention, but we find ourselves in places that um, we never planned to be. And so it's a privilege to be, I appreciate you inviting me onto this platform and giving me the opportunity to go through this with you um, and open up our lives. I've broken it down into seven parts because I just wanna stay focused in each area um, around uh, what we're trying to achieve through helping others. Because I'm sure those listening today um, we'll hear this and hopefully in hopeless situations, uh, find hope and no, there's, there's an avenue. You know, there's a journey you can go on. Uh, you don't have to stay a mess. You can get your life sorted out and um, there's people around to help you do that.
0: Fantastic. Daniel, look, I'm really excited about where we're going to go on this, on this series. And uh, today, as we said, we're going to do episode one and it's facing and overcoming betrayal. Chris, thanks for that introduction.
1: So uh, facing and overcoming betrayal, I I chose this heading because betrayal is not something you do to yourself. Okay, Um, I I wanna start right in the beginning because I think it's a good place to start. Uh, Born into a loving home, amazing dad who who loved um, the Lord, loved my mom, Um, two older brothers, eventually a younger brother. So it's not like I was born into a fatherless or a motherless home. That's funny. (laughs) Sorry. Motherless home. Let's not say that. Sorry. The addict just went, Okay, That's fine. You can keep going. I'm I'm going. So so anyway, Chris, you know, uh, bad things happen to good people. And, um, you know, betrayal happens to us. And uh, I want to talk about my betrayal. So um, a young kid, um, I'm writing a book at the moment called Sensory versus Sensual. I had a sensory disorder, which means very sensitive on my skin, uh, still today, uh, the hair on my body or a t-shirt on my body um, irritates my skin from kind of an allergic reaction. And um, as a kid, um, this constant sensuality, sensory disorder attracted um, a, a various amounts of abuse in my life. And so um, the first, first abuse and the first betrayal was my grade one teacher um, we would have class and it would be summer and I'm wearing a button-up shirt and uh, went to Kensington Ridge Primary to all my mates that are listening. And um, this teacher started to touch me. <laughs> so maybe people are listening today, let's, let's be honest about what happened there. So he would come around, start uh, kind of touching my shoulders and eventually his hands were running down my shirt. And because of this sin sensory disorder. I mean, at seven years old, you don't know that's wrong. You're kind of thinking, well, this teacher's giving me all the attention. Um, he's, um, loving me because you don't understand what's happening anyway. Um, that would be in front of the class and and you just kept pushing the boundaries and pushing the boundaries. And eventually it was the class would leave, ask me to stay behind and it became sexual abuse in the back of the classroom. And so that's the first betrayal. There's a teacher that uh, I was meant to look up to, learn from, be mentored by, be taught by, and um, he abused me. It's
0: a very similar story to my own, actually, because like I was when I was age seven, I was very vulnerable because I was bullied and um, I had a learning uh, learning disorder of dyslexia. And I became very vulnerable and I, I was very open to attention of somebody. And the same thing happened to me. I had a teacher at my school who decided to take advantage of that. But in my context, as the age of seven, I didn't see it like that at all. And uh, the next thing, as you say, it was uh, a sexual abuse that I understood as somebody paying attention to me, uh, giving me some form of affection. But I didn't understand then what was happening. But I didn't also know that that was going to have a dynamic effect on me for the rest of my life. So I I absolutely get that, Daniel. So look, um,
1: that started the first of many, unfortunately. So it was the teacher, then I had an uncle. Um, I'm not going to mention names because I'm not trying to dishonor people today. Two uncles, one from my father's side, one from my mother's side. Um, Sexual abuse continued. So seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Um, And you start to beg the question, what's wrong with me? Uh, when you do now start getting into adolescence, hitting puberty, you're realizing something's not right. Um, you've been sworn to secrecy, uh, being threatened your life if you tell anyone, and it's family. And you get this sick, distorted view of what love is, of what attention looks like. Um, my dad, being in, um, you know, working really hard and, and being away from home, also being very involved in the church, um, not picking up to the fact that these things were going down and not to dishonor him either. Um, But this just attracted one after another. Uh, And so after the adult abuse, when I hit my teenage years and and I was eventually now going to high school, it would be the head of the rugby team and it would be the popular boy at school teasing me. Like you said, I mean, uh, labeled from a very young age, didn't fit in, um, being called all kinds of names, girly boy, you know, I didn't play sport, I skipped a break with the girls, I love music and other arts and cultures things. And that, that doesn't mean that anyone was allowed to put a label on me and um, open doors in my life. But betrayal happened. And I think that's why I wanna talk about it today. Um, had a guy that used to come to our house, his mom was single and he was older than me and, and, and it would happen at home and it would happen at school and it would happen on, on camps. and it, So the sexual abuse just continued and continued as well as the, the verbal abuse. Um, what the perpetrators putting against me and then calling me those names. So the title today is Betrayal, you know, overcoming the betrayal. Uh, so, so this is the painful point that the hurt was there. So by the time I was 13, um, I entered active addiction. Um, I went to my aunt's house and they, they, they used to drink, my, my father didn't, but I stole my first bottle of whiskey and I found my best friend because it was something that numbed the pain and so the tension of being loved in private and despised in public um, really set my life on a trajectory uh, of acts of addiction and getting to be loved in the distorted view of by this time what that looked like. Um, and the sexual abuse was to 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 harsh levels of not just touching but um, oral sex and and penetration and all kinds of things so. You know, what do you do now? You're, you're now acting out of hurt, and you've been betrayed, it's happened, the story's been written. You know, now what? And so let's talk about active addiction, started drinking, then at 13 years old, by the time I was 16, I was using LSD. Um, 17 came out, uh, ecstasy, it was candy flipping every single weekend, and trying to be out of my mind as much as possible. And I think that's a topic we should talk about because the betrayal affects your mind. So your reality is abuse. Yeah. And so you build walls, you're trying to protect yourself, no idea how to set a boundary, no idea how to say no or yes or or, or what, what what true love looks like, trying to have a relationship after that, let alone have a normal girlfriend or a any kind of relationship. In episode two, I'm going to talk about how my identity was broken through this process and um, where I went, what I did, who so I was d- d- I just want to
0: ask you on that one thing. Do you feel that you were, you were basically tr- people pleasing by not saying no and doing anything that people wanted so that you would be liked?
1: Well, I mean, at seven years old, you don't know how to say no. I
0: mean, you know, it's your teacher.
1: It's authority, and I, and I think my, my addiction, and we'll talk about the rebellion side of it, you know, is rooted in rebellion because I got hurt by authority by authority. It's the head boy, it's the, it's the teacher. Um, I was then even in a youth group where I went and confided in the youth leaders and they decided to make it public knowledge to the top guys in the youth. So, you know, we talk about authority. Well, my picture of authority was abusive. Um, every time I felt I could trust somebody, there was an angle of the sexual part of the um, misconduct, etc. So the drugs got harder. So, you know, it was the alcohol, then it went to the ecstasy and the, the LSD, then it went to the cocaine and Um, eventually to, you know, smoking buttons, Mandrax, marijuana, uh, pinks in those days, and, you know, candy flipping, cocaine, um, tick, and all the things that go with it. I mean, we can mention all the names today. So whatever I could get my hands on to take the the mind
0: part of the abuse out. So just going back to right where it started, I just want to know from you is what was it that you felt you needed to take your first drug? What, what was it, uh, apart from the circumstances, environment of, your, of the sexual abuse as a young child, what was it that made you feel, I must use this to cope? What was that that initiated it? Did you not know any other way? Could you not speak to anybody or didn't you think it was something we could speak about? So look, I grew up in a house where talking about
1: sex was taboo. (laughs) I remember there used to be that pad advert where the chickie drops a pad in the river and the river dries up and my mom used to like jump in and switch off the TV. And so again, nothing against my parents. You don't know what you don't know. and None of us know how to raise kids. I got four. Um, So I didn't know what I didn't know, but when I had that whiskey for the first time and I got drunk and I realized there was an escape and a happy place because
0: I was happy. So did it release your... Uh, secret, unknown, ununderstand. You didn't understand this pain inside you, but when you took that whiskey, it was a way of relieving a pain that you thought was normal, and yet you found almost peace in having it. Not just that. So when you've been taken in public
1: in a different way to private, okay? There's two worlds you're busy fighting here. So in the public world, you have zero confidence. I had no self-esteem, nothing whatsoever because it was teasing, it was abuse, I, I wasn't fitting in, there's something wrong with me. Um, in the private world, you find, you know, uh, that people love you in this sexual way that's wrong. So you in this in- incredibly hard tension. So what the alcohol did is it gave me personality. And I think all the drugs are used after that to be someone in public. Because, you know, you, you have a drink, you, you, you change, it's a spirit, it's a spiritual change. And so the confidence levels changed. means I started to, you know, I could have a drink and go out with people. I could start to, um, you know, party. And we'll get into episode two about where I ended up and, and the group of people that accepted me and the whole
0: identity crash that happened in my life. But... So just, just one thing I wanted to ask you on that, Daniel, is that in realizing that, you know, uh, you felt inadequate, you felt that you, you weren't the person who you thought you should be, what, why were you unable to talk about these issues that you had prior to picking up for the first time? So,
1: Chris, I hate religion, and we need to say that um, my higher power, as I found him through the Twelve Step program, is Jesus Christ. But he's not a religion; he's a relationship, and I don't, I don't push that on people because it's, um, it's your journey. But for me, that's where my healing. Definitely came from. So w- when you're in a religious environment, you have expectations on you to perform and behave in a certain way. You have rules and regulations. And the stuff that we talking about in my day was taboo. You talking about the eighties, you didn't talk about this stuff. You know, my uncle um, threatened me uh, and said, if I told anyone he'd take me out. So no, uh, you, you're 10 years old and someone says they're gonna kill you. I don't think you talk to anybody. Um, I watched him die. Um, I think it's important to, to, to I can talk about him because him and my, my aunt are, are no longer on, on the planet. i buried both of them. So he had a secret life. He was married to my mom's sister, but he had a secret life, mm. secret life of homosexuality. So he was living a secret life and, and, and then had a wife in, in public view. And so he molested me and thank the Lord, I was never contracted with any diseases, but I watched him die of HIV, Um, Joburg Gen Hospital. He sent everyone out the room 15 minutes before he passed away and apologized to me, Um, but denied it to the whole family. So I was also then accused of lying. Okay, so when eventually I did start to talk about it, which was close to the end of that, uh, reasons when I was 18 is someone else in my family came out that they were abused and I eventually now and I started telling my story to my, my parents, etc. So you know what? He apologized on his deathbed. And um, when you're in the final moments of your abuser and he says, sorry, you can't change the betrayal, but it meant something, even if it was on my own. Um, and then his dear wife, and uh, again, I'm not dishonoring anybody, she died of the same disease because she was married to someone with a double life. And that was a horrible process for us to go through as a family um, because she did nothing wrong. Uh, and so, uh, what do you do now? The, the, you know, they've passed away um, and you have to face it and, and find the healing. And I think that's the next part we need to talk about because I've said now the betrayals happen,
0: what then, what do you do? Okay, so that's that's um, you know, an overview of exactly the circumstances and environment without your control that other human beings have put on to you that were not your choice. And I completely get that 100%. And I think a lot of people listening is just relieved to hear that this can be so openly spoken about because there has been a lot of shame and guilt about this particular, uh, call it abuse, and also bullying that has happened to us at school. And so I, you know, the one thing as I was saying was it'd be interesting from your side that you picked up the, going back to your first pickup, that you actually um, felt something different in the fact that you drank something, it made you feel better, it made you feel real, it took away all the pain and all the anxiety that you felt. Why did you choose, or in the end, choose that over trying to speak to somebody close to you like your parents or somebody about the truth of how you were feeling that could have stopped you from picking up in the first place?
1: So let's not get this wrong, I did go for counsel.
0: Um, but Is this um, before the bottle, of, before the first drink? Uh,
1: yeah, you know, uh, I went to my youth leaders, as I've mentioned, and again, I'm not dishonoring a church or anything like that now. Um, and they betrayed my trust by making it public knowledge to other people. So I didn't trust any authority Whatsoever, And I refused to ever open my life up again because I didn't want to get hurt again. And so let's talk about the wall you build. You know, um, sexual abuse is is massive and destroys a life. It's a life sentence. So to have healing and be able to talk about it is a miracle. It is not normal. Um, I know friends of mine and many people and, and even victims that I work with that um, take this to their grave and they, they are destroyed. They are destroyed individuals because of the violation and there's no way of finding out how normal life looks and how on earth you can have a normal life, get married, have kids, um, not be suspicious of everybody, not live in paranoia, not get put on psychotic medication. I mean, those are all the processes I've been through. But I'm grateful that I found a higher power that I was able to take this to, and it's been yes a process of seeing counselors talking to you, Chris, going through the 12-step program, confiding again in spiritual leaders, going to a church, resubmitting myself to authority despite my fear, and and taking this to my higher power, Jesus Christ, and saying, how on earth do I get healed? Because I don't want to live a life broken anymore. I'm 42 years old. I've got four of my own children, and I can't relive my childhood. I want my life to count. I want to... Help others who are walking in the same pain to say, you know what? There is a way out. Um, number one, talking about it, uh, It's I'm not ashamed anymore because I was a victim. But I realized, Chris, and the reason we're talking today is I cannot be a victor and a victim at the same time. So my life right now is amazing. I help other people going through these things because I found healing. And it doesn't mean it's gone away. It doesn't mean the memory's gone away. It doesn't mean it was right. Um, It's twisted as all hell and and there's still massive amounts of issues that need to be worked through. But I've got hope uh, because there's healing. There's healing for everything that we go through. And um, I'd love to end this podcast just with this point exactly, with with the example that we have uh,
0: that that healing can come from. Daniel, thank you. Thank you very much for your honesty and your openness in this first amazing journey that we'll be going to go on on this particular series and it's exciting to hear the honesty and the desire to reach out with your story and helping probably many many others who've been in the same in the same circumstances so thank you Daniel that's brilliant and I look forward to uh, episode two and continuing with this story so with that um, I'm going to sign off for this particular episode and uh we will continue with daniel shortly and that's going to be in the next episode thank you thank you again daniel and thank you everybody and uh remember keep it safe